So, brothers and sisters, good evening once again, especially if you are visiting here. Um, I tend not to preach as often as I would like to, and perhaps more than some of you would like me to do. But when I, I, I do it, I, it takes a lot of time, so I tend to couple it with the Bible studies that we do, because I can explore more of the studies that I am already conducting uh, in our Bible studies. And some time ago, when we were doing, uh, studying the parables, I started preparing for, for this sermon. Now we're actually doing Exodus. And we went through several of the parables until we found this one, the parable of the prodigal son. I think as a way of context, uh, I think we must say, why do Jesus use the parables? And we, we saw some of it in the reading of Matthew, didn't we? What are parables? What are these stories full of this wisdom and practical exhortation that Jesus is very peculiar in particular of Jesus' teaching, isn't it? The parables are these illustrations that Jesus uses to throw alongside the story, to illustrate, to communicate a point. Usually, most scholars would agree that parables have one point. So as we go into this chapter 15 here, let's try to see which point is this, what Jesus wants to talk to us about it. And, of course, that this is one of the most famous parables. The parable of the prodigal son. I think the word prodigal is probably mostly famous because of this parable, isn't it? But it's not very famous, is it? What is prodigal? So prodigal, I think it's not a very common word, has to do with extravagant spending, reckless spending. And I think we see that in the figure of the son. But as we read the, the parable here, we see that this title might be a little bit misleading. So we're going to see why that is the case as well. So why is Jesus saying this parable? What is the illustration? What is the point that he's trying to make? And I think it's very helpful in verses 1 to 3 that he actually help us in understanding that context. So we read in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then verse 3, pay attention. So he told them this parable. So Jesus is trying to address the accusations from the Pharisees that he's sitting with sinners and eating with them. And one thing that I think we must actually pay attention because of this is that in verse 3 there, we read, So he told them this parable. It's in the singular. Actually, when we read the, the parables of the lost sheep and of the lost coin and of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, it's almost like one single argument that Jesus is making. It's one single illustration. And you can see that is this theme of losing and finding, losing a sheep and finding the sheep, Losing the coin and finding a coin. Losing the sun and finding the sun. There's even a gradation. I don't know if you noticed that. That, that is one out of 99, then is one out of 10, and then is one out of two. So that is a climax as we come to this parable. And just before we go into the parable, actually, I think it's worth noting that it tells us, it tells us a lot about the character of God. As we skim through the other parables, we see how God is generous. And we see this in particular in this parable, uh, in the way that 
he even shares his inheritance with the, the prodigal son. Um, the way that even he, the way that he even treats his servants, uh, he's very generous, and even in the, the way that he rejoices, the abundance that is uh, characteristic of these celebrations. So he's generous. He's also seeking. We see that he's um, um, a god who is always searching. And of course, that we see that in the figure of the father there, pointing to God himself. And we see uh, a God who is forgiving, who welcomes sinners and even eats with them as Jesus is addressing the accusations of the Pharisees. And finally, uh, also that he is joyous. God is a God of rejoicing, a God of celebration, and we must not miss this point. So as we go uh, into this parable, and without further ado, let's keep that in mind as we explore these points. And I think that one way that we can actually see this parable is as a study of characters. You can see that this story is pretty much a story from three perspectives, almost. And I think we, and I hope we we could agree with that at the end of the sermon, that they're all three very prodigal characters in their own way. So we see here the prodigality of the younger son. That's the first point, the prodigality of the younger son. I don't know if you noticed, but the parable starts quite abruptly. The son is already asking his father for his inheritance. What does that mean? Like, ask for, for him to advance, to anticipate his inheritance. In one sense, it's almost like you're saying, I hope you were dead. Just so I had, you know, my share, my portion of your estate. And why is that? We can see, of course, as the parable unfolds, we can see that he wants to make his own decisions. He wants to go into the world and to um, perhaps satisfy his own needs. And we see that the father grants it, and he goes into this far country. And in a way, I think we kind of resonate and empathize with this far country element. Many of us, we are in a far country. But what are our circumstances? What are our intentions? Are they similar to what we see here in the person of the younger son? Why does the younger son want to go to this far country? There's a question that we need to be answered here. I think one of the reasons is that he just wants to be far away from the rebuke of his family to indulge in his desires. He wants to leave some sort of anonymity. You know, in, I'll go to that country, I'll leave the way that I'd like to do, I'll involve myself in promiscuity and, you know, in reckless living and squandering my money. Isn't it? We see that. But also, we need to see the way that he does that, which is actually very interesting. If you see in verse 13, We've seen here that not many days later, he had gathered all that he had. Not many days later. So he was very quick. He was very quick in doing that. And I don't know, we recently, we have been involved in a, in a sale of a property uh, in, in this church. And actually, it took years for us to come somewhere. But he resolved everything, you know, his property in just a few days. What can we conclude from that? 
probably he he actually sold it very cheap. He just he had no regard with the value, neither the market value, let's say, of the property, but also the emotional value of the property. Imagine how hurtful that was to his father to see him just squandering everything, selling everything, and just going away. It wasn't just that he was going away, he was cutting ties with his family. So he went to this place, he he spent it all, but he was very reckless. So when a famine arrived in the country, he had no means to sustain himself. In a way that he ended up being hired to a citizen of that country. The way that the Lord Jesus portrays this actually is almost as if it's a threefold curse. Because he was hired out to a foreign person, so a slave, to a foreign person, and actually, I don't know if you noticed, but to feed pigs, to work with pigs. No, that's an unclean, dirty, impure animal in that um, tradition. So this, the point that the Lord Jesus is trying to make here is that his situation was horrible. Like, that's, it couldn't be worse. He, he stresses the dreadfulness of his circumstances. So, friends, let's try to now apply this to us. Perhaps we are living in circumstances that we feel like it's very bad and that we couldn't, it couldn't get any worse. That we feel like we just want to sell everything and go away to a place where we can perhaps indulge ourselves in better circumstances in our eyes. What the Lord Jesus is telling us here is that we should not leave our Father's house in the pursuit of sinful desires. Because in the end, all the wealth, all the pleasure of this world is just like chasing after the wind. It's pointless. Even the apparent happiness that it may bring, it fades out. Don't we see that in this story? It fades out very quickly, and we are left with spiritual starvation. So that's the prodigality of the younger son in reckless living. But we also see here, we are introduced to the character of the father. And we see the prodigality of the father shown in a resourceful love. For when the son finally came to his senses, he thought, hmm, I'm going to go back home. I remember, you know, even the, my father's generosity towards the, 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 his servants. Here, I'm, I don't even get a living wage because he, he was starving. Like, the, he was working, but the money that he was receiving wasn't even enough for him to buy food. So he remembers his father, says, I, I know a better employer. I will go there and I will slave to my father. I will go there and I will work for him and I will have much better conditions than I have here. He plans his return. He even rehearses our speech. Don't we see that in, in verse 18? So verse 18, we see the speech that he rehearses. He says, um, and, 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 uh, sorry, what? I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So that's the speech. We can almost picture him walking that, that road, going back home and thinking, I'm going to say that to my father. 
And then we see the father appearing in this story. And we see here that even though he was still way off, the father is the one who comes to him full of compassion, full of love, full of love. And then the, the son says, oh, I need, I need to speak these things in my heart that are so true now. My speech, I rehearsed. And when he tries to, we, we see from the verse like that he's interrupted by the father, isn't he? He never got to say, they treat me as one of your servants. The father is resolute in the fact that he will be treated as a son. The father asked for the best robe, in a sense of, um, that was reserved for the most dignified guests. He asked for the, the ring, a symbol of authority. He put even sandals in his feet, shoes in his feet. Such was his misery, he had no shoes. And this is the great apex of the, of the, the parable. Again, friends, I, I must stress this fact. The title of Prodigal Son is very misleading. This, this parable is not about the son. This parable is about the father. It's probably the parable of the loving father. It would be a better title. It's about the mercy that he shows, about the love, the compassion, the prodigality, if I may say, in which he uses all his resources um, to love his son. When we see such a display of love, friends, isn't it when we look at the cross, when we looked at God unsparingly sent his son to die for us? He sent his son to die for us so that we should be called sons of God as well. So I think as we look at that, we must... We are not told here you know, what happened with the son after the father embraced him. But we can only imagine, perhaps, how grateful he was, wasn't he? In the same way, we must respond to the gospel in seeing all the, 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 the spending that God had with us and respond to that with uh, gratefulness and obedience. So that's the prodigality of the father, this, his love displayed there. And then we, we end with the prodigality of the older son. In one sense, I think you might agree with me. This story could probably have ended there, right? It ended, you know, the father embraced, forgave. What a great story. But the point that Jesus wanted to make goes further beyond that. Uh, he wants to teach us also to observe the pattern of the behavior of the Pharisees. And I think we must actually be very honest in looking at that and trying to see ourselves. What happened? Let's try to see the story from the older son's perspective. Whilst the younger son was away, he was there with his father working very hard. As the oldest son, he was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. He was looking forward to that as well. And and then this son who had squandered everything that he was working for comes back. And then he was he he sees there's something going on. He we can see the older son approaching the house, he started listening to some music, he suddenly listened to some dancing, he says, Well, there's something strange. And we are actually even mentioned here that he worked so hard that he was in the fields, he was working. And then he arrives at his house and says Calls the servant to actually tell him well, what's what's going on, and the servant tells the story. It's your son who comes back, 
And he gets furious, didn't he? We see here in this story, for all these years, he, he wasn't just working, he was also storing up resentment for his brother. He was probably imagining, uh, and, and because he actually mentioned the thing with, about the prostitutes, he probably heard of his brother perhaps some sort of gossip. Oh, here your brother is somewhere else, you know, spending time, indulging himself in sexual affairs. And he was full of resentment. So we see here in verse 29, as he vents, you know, everything onto his father, and actually, let me just open a bracket here. It's his father who comes outside to him once again. It's not that he goes and talks to his father. His father comes to him. Look what he says. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. For him, So we see, firstly, like two things of his character. First is that, did you notice the disdain when he spoke about his brother? He doesn't say my brother. He says, this son of yours. He's very disdainful. But we also see his boastfulness, don't we? He had never disobeyed a command. He is proud, and he's proud of the works that he had accomplished. But that's as we assess the motivations or the intentions of the younger brother, let's see if we can get into the older brother's mind here as well and see his motivations. Because they are a bit more nuanced, but they are also displayed here. I think the, the, the key point here is looking at this fattened calf here in the way that he refers to it. We can almost see day in, day out, this older brother going to the fields, working hard, seeing that fattened calf, and perhaps wondering, mm, when are we going to have that celebration with the fattened calf? Perhaps even drawing plans in his head. Oh, I'll celebrate with my friends. I'll eat. Oh, it looks very nice today, isn't it? Like he's putting some pounds. And, and then when he sees all of, the, all of those plans crumbling, the expectations, the frustration, he's absolutely furious. But notice that he says here that he, in the verse is actually quite... Interesting to see that he doesn't want it, the fattened calf, to celebrate with you or with the family. He wants it to celebrate with his friends. Did you notice that? It's, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So the answer of the father here is, is so interesting because basically saying, you're missing the point. Everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. What you want in trying to do and accomplish all these things, you are missing that I want you to relate to me. I want you to enjoy my company. I want you to enjoy our relationship. But he has this very legalistic worldview. And I think that serves as a warning for us in the church as well. We must remember and we must understand that true teaching of Scripture will never divorce these two things, will never divorce God's law and his love. The, young, the, the older son, he thinks as if he's pleasing his father, but he's only looked from the law's perspective, in a sense, of works, accomplishments. But true teaching of the church will never divorce these two things, God's law 
and his love. So we must never fall into this trap to get into this Pharisaic mindset of approaching the law. Because essentially, this adherence to the law is not obedience, it's actually sacrifice. Because it's not a manifestation of a grateful heart. It's not a response to what God has done to us. But actually, we're trying to get our way to God through our accomplishments. So we need to pay attention to that. But there's another question, perhaps. Because where we hear the word legalism, you might want to think about um, antinomianism or um, being kind of a libertine. And one might ask, okay, so should we leave then like the younger brother, just go into the far country and do whatever we want? I think Romans 6 rightly answers that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness, newness of life. Just in closing, let me just share this with you. I have a Muslim friend. We pray for him very often. And he's very fond of this parable. He's very... He always mentioned, the, oh, the prodigal son, I love it. I love it because for me, it's the depiction of this most merciful God. You know, you just need to be repentant and come to him and he will forgive you. And I remember I was kind of struggling to say, how can I answer that in a way? What, what's he missing the point? And I think is, if you look carefully to this parable, who is this father? Who is this father here? We tend to associate Father with God the Father. But actually, as if you look at the context, once again, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees why he welcomes sinners, why he sits and eats with them. So who is this Father? The Father is Jesus. In this parable, in this parable, the Father is the Son. It's the Son, the beloved Son, the one who rejoices in the salvation of sinners, of repentant sinners. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this parable. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who saves, is the one who welcomes sinners and the ones who by his spirit instill repentance in our hearts so that we might not only glorify you, Lord, with the things that we do, but in doing that, that we may enjoy you forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.